Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Hardwood Handicappers, VEASAN's premier NBA betting podcast. Here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Good morning, folks, and welcome in. It is Hardwood Handicappers, the Friday edition. We have a lot to go over, and who better to go over it with, especially with the New York Knicks in action tonight, than one Will Hill, and not the Will Hill up on Twitter. Uh, First and foremost, though, Will, I've been hearing rumblings and rumors, and got to get to the bottom of this with you. Kid number four? Do I have the count right? Over three and a half caches. Uh, some people have started to call me the Antonio Cromartie of VEASAN. <laughs> you know uh, your kids' yeah. names, though, I would assume. I know. I know, I know <laughs> most of the names, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, not, not a lot of sleep, which, look, it, it's not a great time when you, you, have, uh, you have all these playoff games and you're trying to stay awake and, you know, sleep is at a premium. But I don't think you ever sleep, so I'm not going to get too much sympathy from you because I think you're always awake. Hey, man, first off, congratulations. That's awesome. Um, Hopefully the wife and everybody else is doing well. And uh, you're right. The sleep is not really the friend of us in this business if you're really paying attention to everything. So, uh, hey, at least you have company, I would assume, in some of these late West Coast games where you're just staying up. You got a little kid now in your lap to watch it with, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, they they start these games plenty late. I think it was uh, Sunday night. Sunday night was before the baby came. But man, Sunday night when you start in Denver, Minnesota, like 11 o'clock Eastern, it's like you got to have a better a better system. I mean, these games are ending one one o'clock, one thirty in the morning. It's sort of crazy. That was the that was a weird part for the national championship game. Right. I mean, I know it's at the same time every year, but the fact that they started at 620 is is kind of odd, given the East Coast and the fact that especially that one where you have UConn playing in it of all teams. And you have a million TV timeouts, you know, you, you foul another timeout, and these these timeouts last forever. The halftime yep. last forever, yeah. And I think it was like a nine twenty three started, like quarter eleven. The second half is starting. Nobody's asking us for advice, but there's got to be a better way. And baseball, Major League Baseball, is guilty of this too, where you got playoff games ending at midnight. It's just, I don't know. It's hard to grow the sport, but I'm sure they have their reasons for doing it. All right, so with that, uh, before we get to the actual basketball stuff that's going to play out on the court, uh, we did have some news. I don't know if you have thoughts on it or not. We had some rumblings, but wanted to mention it to our audience. Uh, over the last couple of days, there have been rumblings that Nick Nurse was probably on his way out over at Toronto. Uh, that is indeed finalized. Nick Nurse has been fired. The Toronto Raptors are going to go ahead and search for a new coach. Nurse has been kind of thrown out there in the last like two seasons in the offseason about like teams were going after him. So I think that was kind of the first bit of writing on the wall. I don't think teams are putting him on the list unless they don't think that he can probably be available. Well, he's officially available. And how about this? I think you'll appreciate this one. One of the first teams that's popped up is Houston. And the reason why is because Houston might try to accelerate the win now window. And of course, there'd been rumors of James Harden's potential return to Houston. And it looks like that's starting to pick up some steam. How about that? Nick Nurse, James Harden, a defensive mastermind as a head coach with James Harden as his best player. It seems like a perfect fit. Man, uh, if I'm Nurse, Nurse is a hell of a coach. If I'm Nurse, I am 
I'm going to sit in the pocket and I'm going to wait for a receiver to get open here. I am not forcing any throws. I'm not rushing. Just pick your spot. If you have to do TV for a year, do TV for a year. Wait for the lottery. See who wins the lottery. See who wins the Web and Yama sweepstakes. Pick your spot. Like I was very surprised that Quinn Snyder just jumped to take the Atlanta job. And that was a strange situation anyway. Like 15 games left. Hey, I'm your coach now. That was uh, It was really late in the year. And I, I don't know that Atlanta is a great job. They're sort of stuck in purgatory, it seems like. So if you're a nurse, look, you're going to have a, a, a bunch of teams after you. Just wait. See what opens up. Uh, but, man, time, time goes by quickly. It doesn't seem like that long ago where he's holding up the trophy. And, man, he brought a championship to the Raptors. He's just – he's an outstanding coach. And now he's uh, now he's out. He was coach of the year just a couple of years ago. So uh, I'll be interested to see what job he takes. I don't know that Houston's a great job. No. And you got to at least wait for the lottery. I wouldn't jump to anything. We'll see we, uh, We'll see where he ends up. My uh, – this is the you – know, you're hearing this first. And uh, we'll see if this comes to fruition. Uh, but – that year that he won the NBA Finals, who was standing in next to him holding that Finals MVP trophy? I can't remember. It was Kawhi Leonard. Why? What's the uh, what's what's the connection? Well, th- there are there are some. There's been rumors for a little bit that Ty Lue might have a really? foot out the door really? in LA, and uh, it, if that is actually true, and the Clippers are looking for somebody to, you know, again, because I think Ty Lue's a pretty decent coach. I think he's proven Me that too. at this point right now. Uh, but it might seem, it seems to be potentially one of those things where the relationship is just kind of like with Toronto, right? Like you've had some success, but maybe there's some differentiating opinions. I, I think clearly, uh, if you've read or looked at some of the press conferences, as well, I think Ty Lue's kind of fed up with the injury nonsense that's yeah. been happening with like Ty- Kawhi Leonard and the rest of the personnel and the medical staff, where it might just be that this relationship has run its course. And if that's the case, you talk about trying to land on your feet as a head coach. I mean, what better way to do it with the personnel that one guy you've already won a championship with, and it's a roster that is geared toward your schemes as a coach in terms of what you want to do defensively. I'm just throwing it out there. I, th- I think it's a very small connection, but it might grow as time goes on. Yeah, and, uh, and playoffs often set up the offseason is the saying, yep. and somebody gets bounced a little earlier than they expect, and who knows, could a Denver job open up and you get to coach Jokic? That's another think, one. Uh, yeah, I think Malone, that's not – that front office is, didn't bring in Malone, I, I'm pretty sure. So you never know. Somebody gets bounced early. Somebody lands Webinyama. Uh, there will be plenty of options out there. I just – man, I don't know. Houston, I know they've had a bunch of lottery picks, and eventually that talent marinates, and you know he, he would improve them. That's not the job I'd be looking at, but um, you know we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. Yeah, it seems like a weird fit, but uh, that is the uh, the rumor this morning. All right, so with that, we'll see if uh, anything else officially comes down. <clears throat> excuse me, when it comes to Nick Nurse, but we do have the postseason. So let's go back to last night really quickly and talk about a couple of the things that we saw uh, the evening before. I wanted to start in Sacramento, Golden State. So I, I don't think the results necessarily shocked a lot of people in terms of Golden State going out there. And doing what they did, getting a series win, 114-97, your final score. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, because I, I think what has been interesting in watching what has happened with Sacramento, despite the fact that they have a 2-1 series lead, they can't shoot, Will. And this is like a fascinating thing through the first few games uh, for a couple of these series. We're going to mention Atlanta a little bit later. But again, coming into today or into that game yesterday, Sacramento was shooting 30% from three. They ended up going 10-41 of 41 from three-point range. I get it's the playoffs. And some of the physicality picks up. I think that's what a lot of people have been pointing to. But some of these teams like Sacramento, Atlanta, uh, others, even Golden State for the entirety of this series, uh, they're still not shooting particularly well, floating around 33.3%. What do you make of this shooting? Because I thought last night was a good opportunity to go over with no Gary Payton, no Draymond Green, and yet guys couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. 
Uh, I had the over too, and I tweeted this out. It was a minute 15 into the game, and you thought the over was dead. Yep. Uh, when you got to go over to, I got a decent number too, not that it mattered, 239, maybe 239 and a half, I forget, because uh didn't come close. But when you, you're having that high of a total and you're a minute 15 in and you're still scoreless, like, oh, this is, uh can't have these lulls. It's like Ben over 60, 62 in a college football game, and they have yep. a, a long drive for a field goal. It's like, oh, that one's, uh, that one's sort of dead. <laughs> I don't know. I guess you could look at it at Sacramento and say, hey, we're up two games to one. We get five at home. We get seven at home, and we haven't shot the ball yet. So you can look at your glass half full. Um, I, I thought Sacramento's defense was pretty bad last night. Golden State seemed to get whatever they wanted in terms of threes, attempts, wide open attempts, wide open attempts from guys you want shooting the three with with Curry, Clay, Poole. Um, it's just a point. It's amazing how much different the Warriors' defense is at, at home versus on the road. You wouldn't think a venue makes that much of a difference, but – Look, the market has this as a coin flip. Um, I think the Warriors are probably going to win their home games pretty comfortably. I don't know that Sacramento is going to break through and win one in Golden State. Looks like the Golden State. It looks like the, the games in Sacramento are going to be close. So, I mean, if I had nothing in pocket, I did play the Kings before the series. If I had nothing in pocket, would I be dying to jump in and, and bet this series at, at this price? No, I think it's probably um, properly priced here at a coin flip. Um, you, you know, it's. If you're the Kings, you really don't want this to go to seven. But right. there's really no scenario where unless you're going to go in there and steal this one or steal one in game six, you're going to have to just win your home games and it's going to come down to a game seven, which obviously Golden State's the more experienced team. So uh, at some point, they're going to shoot the ball better. This is a, a team full of good shooters. They're going to shoot the ball better. Uh, I did think it was interesting that I think Kurt seemed to match up the Len minutes with Curry minutes, and that was just an issue for uh, for Len. I mean, you're going to put him in pick and roll. It's just going to be a hard matchup. And, and Len seemed to play the other night when, or the first two games when Curry was yep. sitting. So those are some some of the uh, the tactical matchups you see throughout a series. Some of the adjustments that you see, but should be a great series. It's a fun series, uh, and it looks like we're headed for a long series here. Do you have an opinion? Like, if you had nothing in pocket, would you be betting you know, either team right now? I uh, not I think I think you kind of hit it on the head. I, I think the one thing that when you're looking at the way that this has transpired so far, I think you're probably looking at like Golden State in seven, maybe playing the exact outcome there. I just when you're talking about like you said, I'm pretty certain, especially like this last game, right? This is the best opportunity with Draymond Green not playing, with Gary Payton not playing, that you were going to go on the road and steal a game, and that was not the case for Sacramento. So now you'd assume both those guys are going to be back. We know that Draymond's going to be back, and it was only an illness for. Gary, so I think it's probably going to be certain that he's going to play for them in this game four. I think you're probably up against it if you're Sacramento, because the other part of this, Will, as I mentioned, their shooting numbers, Golden State is still not shooting the ball particularly well either. So that is something that's going to regress to the mean for the Golden State Warriors as well. This seems, I would think, destined for a game seven. And if that's going to be the case, you know the Warriors are going to be favored, even though it's on the road. It'll probably be about a two, three-point favorite in Sacramento to close out the series. And you're probably in a tough spot, but I, I think it's probably appropriately priced. Uh, if this thing, if they can steal game four, obviously it's going to be heavily favored to Sacramento, but I, I thought this was a really big missed opportunity for them. It kind of swung me a little bit more in the direction of the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, these teams, they just, you know, whether you get up 1-0 on the road, these teams just sort of punt on game two or can't match the intensity of the team that needs the game. And we saw it again last yep. night. I thought, you know, the Kings' defensive intensity was not good. Obviously, you miss shots, you're always going to look bad, but I, I thought they just... I guess it's not feeding off the crowd. When you're home, you can feed off the crowd. You close out a little harder. You play a little harder. When you get on the road, it's just not the same. And, yeah, I'm not sure that well, – I think, what's it, seven and a half for game four? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, it seems a little high, but, again, you watched the game last night. Is Sacramento capable of hanging in the game in that building? I'm not sure. 
Yeah, I've, I've talked to a couple of uh, handicappers with their models, and actually they they expected full strength that this would be nine and a half. Ooh. So I wouldn't be surprised to see this to get up to maybe even nine or eight and a half, I'll say. I don't think the market lets it get as high as nine and a half, but I wouldn't be That's, surprised to see it move another point. The only thing worrying me about laying the points, like you mentioned, Sacramento, like they've shot the ball terribly. Like I, I know when you say somebody's due, something is due, it's sort of a... Dude, no, how about this? How about this stat? So the Golden State Warriors, according to NBA tracking data, have allowed through three games in the postseason the most wide-open three-point wow. looks. They have allowed 72 wide-open three-point shots. So again, for our audience, that means defender six feet or farther away, Will, but the Kings are shooting 26.4% on those looks. So Amazing. like you can make the argument, like the argument for the Knicks back a couple of years ago, because they were, you know, they were getting pretty lucky on not getting burned by wide open threes. The argument is, well, they're letting the right guys get right. open. Like you can say that, but 72 three point looks that are wide open, you should be shooting better than 26% on those looks. Yep, absolutely. Do you think they, they start to use Mitchell more and just go go with more defense? I mean, you could, but it, that, I mean, that's kind of the problem, though, right? Is it's it's so what's yeah. the trade off? Because through three games, your defense hasn't been terrible. It, it's been right. fine. It's been average. It's your offense. And like in game two, when you finally I think it was a game two where Dan, Mitchell actually contributed some offensively, like uh, that's where you're like, OK, the trade off was kind of worth it if we're playing in more minutes, if he's going to give us something offensively, because defensively, like I think we're feeling OK, if this is going to be the case, because nobody's stopping Curry. Right. And you can put them on him to chase him around screens and whatnot. But for the most part, I think you're just comfortable trading that off or maximizing your offense because you're going to need that. I thought they might play a little faster last night. I think they started to in like the third yeah. quarter. I think was it one of the mic'd up sessions where Brown was telling them, to, you know, imploring them to run a little bit more. But they, they weren't good in transition either. They, I thought they turned the ball over a few times. They missed some open threes. So I don't know. Maybe the maybe the solution is to just try and run more play, play with a little more pace. But yep. it hasn't really worked so far. Yeah. To your point, too, yesterday. Uh, according to Cleaning the Glass, 47.4% of their live ball rebounds led to a transition play, Sacramento. So they were running. They were running as quickly yeah. as they could. But um, What was their efficiency? 82.4. Not good. Yep. Yeah, not good at all. Um, so Golden State, look, Golden State is Golden State. They're going to be a very well-coached team, and they're not going to be an easy out. I think for me, as somebody who played this uh, series over five and a half games, in a pretty good position now, because uh, I, I think that we're going to get this thing extended out to the very least six or seven. So we'll see if that's going to be the case. I but. took uh, I took Kings for the series. I think I got plus 225, and I took Kings in six plus 1,400 just with the hopes, hey, yeah. you're up three games to two, and you get to game six, and who knows? Warriors have a slow start, and the Kings are up by eight. I can just sort of name my profit. So that's uh, that's still sort of in play here where I can at least oh. get earn off of it. Absolutely, 100% absolutely in play. So uh, right now, at least as Will referenced too, for those who um, – haven't seen it yet. Kings four game four, seven and a half point underdog total at 238. And for the series, as we're looking at it now, Golden State Warriors, a slight favorite, minus 115. Sacramento Kings at minus 105. All right. Other games yesterday. Uh, not like really a ton to get through from Philly and Brooklyn. I'll say this. Um, I, I think the takeaway, right, was two things. Philly is such a weird team. And like I tweeted that out. I, I feel like if you were to look up the word apathy in the dictionary, a picture of the Philadelphia 76ers would appear. Like, they're just such an apathetic basketball team. You know, like, when you see throughout the series, Joel Embiid in transition, not like possessions, just kind of walking back up the court, letting his four other teammates taking it up, you know, barely crossing the half-court line until there's like 10 seconds left on the shot clock. There was a possession yesterday where James Harden gets the ball on the left wing and he's looking toward Embiid on his right because he's like, all right, I'm going to give it to you. And Embiid has his back to him, Will, and he's just like walking to the right wing. Like, it's so weird 
the way that they handle these situations. And I got to tell you, so I've, I've got a good ticket on them to win the NBA finals. I got them at 24 to one and I, I, it's a good number, but in terms of the probability of that thing actually cashing, when they move on to face Boston, like I'm, I've got like Boston and four Boston and five circled to play. Cause I, I think they're going to get absolutely smoked. Yeah. I don't think they're going to, they'll get enough out of Harden. I mean, he got to the line a little bit last night, but his first free throw attempt in the series yesterday. Yeah, think, that was crazy. I think he'd gone three games. That I forget what his last postseason game was last year. Well, it had to be the Heat game. I don't think he attempted a free throw in that game. Then the nope. first two this year. Uh, and remember, this is a guy who used to just live at the line. I mean, wakes up in the morning and he's got eight free throws. It was just automatic that he would live at the line. So uh, that's obviously a troubling sign. I actually took the Nets in game four here because I think there's a good chance that B gets suspended. I mean, he went he went for the uh, the kick there just because you miss. I don't know that you get a get a reprieve just because you miss your target there. If he connected, I yeah. think it's an automatic. Um, you can make the case they went easy on him anyway. Uh, I think they did. And look, it's not like it's game seven of the finals, so you can suspend him, send a message. It's not like you're tampering with the integrity of anything. It's not going to be that controversial. You can sort of send a message and be like, all right, you're up three games tonight anyway. We're going to suspend you. Um, so that that line, there's five and a half. I don't know if there's any sixes still out there. Maybe it's factored in that there's like a 50-50 chance he's suspended and the line would be seven otherwise because I think once teams get down 3 nothing, they really shade the, the line to the team that's up 3 nothing. figure the team that's down is just going to roll over. So uh, I think it's worth at least – worth looking at just bet the nets have that in your pocket if mb gets suspended you could you know buy off that go for a middle or do whatever but i'm not sure sure uh mb plays here game four yeah i mean and you know what the thing that'll work in your favor uh is the fervor over yesterday uh in the fact that the the, the nba looks like they're grasping at straws with the way that they're handling right. some of these situations you know like if you look at side by side um, Joel Embiid versus Draymond Green. Like, they look the exact same thing. In fact, I, I actually kind of agree with Charles Barkley. I don't know if you saw him on the halftime report, but he actually said, I actually kind of think what Draymond did was worse. Or, excuse me, what uh, Joel Embiid did was worse. It was really he bad. Tried to, he tried to kick Nick Claxton in the nuts. Like, that's exactly yeah. what he tried to do. Uh, and so, like, I would agree. I am interested to see how the NBA handles it. Do they fold to the criticism that they were receiving yesterday? Because then you get Harden. You know, I, I feel like it was incidental. Like, I think he went to just cause separation with Royce O'Neal and just nailed him in the nads. Um, you know, but at the same time, then you see that, and the refs are like, no, we got to eject them. Like, then it's, it's wildly inconsistent. What are we doing? One guy in Draymond Green got suspended for stepping on a dude's chest, while another dude in Joel Embiid went to kick a dude in the nuts, and Holly got was a flagrant one, and then we move on. And Sabonis was in the wrong. He grabbed the ankles. Sabonis was way more in the wrong than Claxton. I mean, Claxton stepped over him a little bit. He did a little flex. I mean, that's not uh, grounds to yep. uh, to get a kick. I mean, there was no real confrontation. I know, you know, people overreact. The step over is something that's uh, that's frowned upon. You don't just you, you just don't do it. I, I think that can be a little overblown too. I mean, Claxton did not do a lot to uh, to start that. You also don't kick somebody in the nuts for true. it, too. That's, true. <laughs> that's, that's not something that I think you can do. you think he gets suspended? What would you put the, the odds that he gets suspended? Embiid? Yeah. I think it's still an underdog, but it's a small okay. one. I'll go like plus 150. How about that? Yeah, I think it's, yeah. I would say 50-50, but I don't know. I actually yeah. think I, I would go the other way. I think 60-40 he gets suspended, but who knows with silver. Yeah, I, like you said, it's a weird deal. And, I mean, you know, you know what? To your point... Maybe Silver looks at it and goes, I won't be altering this series. I can suspend him right, because they're exactly. up three nothing. It's it's sort of a layup where you can you can sort of uh be the strict parent here where it's just you're you're not tampering with anything. It's it it's not like you said, it's not tampering with the integrity of anything. 
Yeah. Yeah. That'll be uh, interesting to see nonetheless. And hey, look, if Tyrese Maxey comes out and performs the way that he did in that game, it'd be pretty fascinating. So Philly in control in that one, up 3 nothing. And as you mentioned, uh, for their next matchup against Brooklyn, five and a half point favorite on the road, that total of 208 and a half. These totals have gotten pretty low. Um, yeah, game yesterday, of course, as you saw in the first half. How about that first half total, too, by the way? 106 and a half. And then, like, the last, like, 90 seconds, I think there's, like, two field goals made. And, of course, the game goes under the first half total by, I think, a point, two points. And uh, the game itself yesterday, pretty low scoring, ends up going under the number as well. Uh, all right. The other one. This is the big one. 129-124. Los Angeles Clippers put up a pretty good fight against the Phoenix Suns. And uh, they eventually fall 2-1 in the series now with the game remaining. They get a matinee game tomorrow. Scheduled to do the um, in terms of the way that this has been set up. Got to tell you, Will, as somebody who has uh, a bit tied up into this, more in terms of Clippers plus two and a half games, but a little bit on the series for the Clippers to win and some Clippers futures to win the NBA Finals. Got to feel a little annoyed, as it is with all Clippers uh, situations in the postseason, uh, that Kawhi Leonard was not available for this. this. You tell me if I'm wrong, but through three games, I, I feel like this is a winnable series for the Los Angeles Clippers if Kawhi Leonard's 100% and fully healthy throughout this entire thing. Yeah, and not even to mention uh, to mention Paul George. I think the Suns yep. have have shown some warts here. Whether it's not getting to the foul line, they got to the foul line a lot last night. I think they shot thirty six free throws, but they don't really pressure the rim. They don't get to the foul line a lot. Just in general, they don't get their three point attempts up a lot. I mean, they shot what I think it was nineteen in game one. They've yep. shot a little more as the series going on, but when you're shooting 19, 24, 27 threes, it's just not ideal. Uh, you mentioned that the schedule doesn't favor the Clippers. I guess when you're referencing Kawhi, it doesn't favor the Clippers. But look. Durant played, I think, 41 minutes, and Booker played 45. So that's a quick turnaround for those guys, too, for a yep. team without a lot of depth. Uh, Paul has really looked sort of shot at times, not shot the ball well, looked hesitant to shoot. Um, what do we have? A line? The line is five. So is that sort of – are they playing it halfway, think, saying there's a 50-50 shot Kawhi plays? If he does play, we'll move it to, like, two. If he doesn't play, we'll move it to, like, seven and a half, something like that. Is that yeah. Are they sort of playing in the middle? Yeah, I would think so, right, because this line was two and a half with no indication that Kawhi right. Leonard was injured. And That's then, another and thing, though. He he got hurt game one. He's not on any, dude, any injury report game two or three. So, like, what? I mean, what are the injury reports for? I don't. I, I mean, look, Silver's not going to uh, drop the hammer here. I don't. They don't seem to uh, enforce this stuff. But I mean, what are we doing? What are the injury reports for? I so I've like I've done this rant quite a bit, and it's something I feel somewhat passionate about. And as somebody who's like you know, handy does this day to day and covers the league for you know for Veasan on a day to day basis the the games with the designations and the injuries like at some point at silver's got to do something you you cannot you cannot tie yourself into and i even brought up it's not even just gambling will it's daily fantasy it's right. just fantasy sports in general it's your fans it's everything the games that have been played with this and it's in the postseason it seems to get worse because like you said according to woge's report he actually uh aggravated the injury in game one He's not even on the injury report for game two. And then he ends up not playing in game three with no indication whatsoever that he was going to miss it. And just go back the last few years, Will. Remember, of course, famously, LeBron James reportedly punched a, a, a whiteboard after their game one loss, the J.R. Smith incident uh, against the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals, broke his hand after game one. It was never reported. And then once they got eliminated, he comes into the final press conference with a brace cast, on his hand and a cast. Right. Or how about, I don't know if you remember this one, I think it was either the same year or the year before where Portland made that run to the Western Conference Finals. And it's reported like during game five when they're about to get eliminated that, oh, by the way, Damian Lillard had a separated rib and he's been playing with it for like the last three games. And you're like, what? Like, I, that'd be nice to know. 
considering he's their only guy right now, it, like the NBA on a day-to-day basis has a massive problem with this. And again, here we are with no indication that Kawhi Leonard had aggravated the injury in game one. You have people betting into it. You have people taking positions in fantasy or whatnot. You have people getting ready to go watch the game. And all of a sudden, it's, oh, by the way, a couple hours before the game starts, Kawhi Leonard's actually out. Like, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Last year, too, the second round, it was before game three of, what was it? It was the Heat and the Sixers, and Bede was designated out, or, or yep. that was his... Uh, I don't think they ruled him out, but he was listed as out. Shams tweeted. And then he tweets an hour later. But by the way, he could be upgraded to questionable problem. Then he ends up playing. So yeah, there's a look. If you're gonna if you're gonna be partners with these leagues in terms of the betting companies, uh, there's got to be a little more honesty with it. Um, you know, not that they're gonna uh, again, not that they're gonna listen to us. But man, there's just seems to be no uh, no enforcement of these rules. No, and and look, it kind of creates the situation where, from a betting standpoint, there's no need to get involved in any way, shape, or form, either from the game or from a series, uh, because you just don't know what's going to happen with Kawhi Leonard. But I will point this out through, and this is something I wrote about yesterday going into the game with Phoenix, through, let's see, now what are we talking about? Through three games here, the Los Angeles Clippers offensive rating of 118 through three games, and one of those, Kawhi Leonard, of course, was not available they the Suns have not shown the ability to consistently stop Phoenix or to, excuse me to stop Los Angeles, and I, I think that is the positive for the Clippers going forward. That if you somehow can get Kawhi Leonard back for Game Four, then you have uh, obviously an opportunity. As I mentioned, I think this is a winnable series for them. I think it's shown up to this point, but until we get clarity on what's going to happen with Leonard, you got no idea uh, what exactly you're going to get from the Los Angeles Clippers. So hopefully, do you have any sense if he's playing or not? I get the sense that it's from reading stuff. I would say no. I mean, okay. even uh, I think Ty, again, going back to what we talked about with Ty Lue kind of getting fed up with everything. Um, like Lou was asked about like the injury and the recovery, and he said something to the effect of like, I don't know. So like he said right. he he seems to get pretty fed up with this, and whether that's just coach speak, but like the tone is super like graded and irritated, where I'm not sure if he's gonna really uh, if he's gonna be around for long. But this seems to be some cloak and dagger stuff. And who knows? I mean, look, the way that you've read some of the stories coming out of LA will. I, I wouldn't put it past Kawhi and his people that they actually went to the Clippers and was like, eh, he's not ready. He's not going to go as opposed to the Clippers deciding something. It's what there was a lot of issues with in San, San Antonio about. He, he, he didn't think he was ready to go and from, yep. from all reports and they said he was, and it just, it, it got ugly. Remember there went a, a long time where he didn't play basketball when he plays. He's almost as good as anybody. He's just unbelievable. But yeah, he, uh, it's obviously an issue. Clippers are seven to one to uh, to win the series. So if you think he's good, you think, hey, he's going to play tomorrow. I don't know. Is, is that enough for you? Probably, probably not for me, just because of the uncertainty. But look, at seven to one, if you had nothing in pocket and you thought for whatever reason he's going to play, maybe that's something to keep an eye on. I don't yep. know. Oh, Elimination so- game tomorrow, though. I mean, if they if they're down three one, even with Kawhi, I mean, you can't imagine they're going to win game five and game oh, seven in phoenix yeah as my like my thing too is like as somebody who's the big bet was on clippers plus two and a half games like i was really banking on game three being a win so that i could just lock that up and then move on because if he's not going to be available for game four they fought admirably but you're not going to get 20 plus points out of norm powell and another you know relatively efficient night from russell westbrook that was like your best opportunity to steal one without him and not sure if that's going to replicate itself so yeah seven to one seems high but again you don't know what's going on with leonard um all right, we'll take our break here. On the other side, uh, Will and I are going to go over the three games that we're going to see later tonight in the NBA postseason. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, William Hill is here with us. I said your name weird there. William Hill is here with us, of course, VC contributor at not the Will Hill up on Twitter. So three games later tonight in the NBA postseason. We'll just start at the top, work our way around. Boston, Atlanta. Boston five and a half totals, two twenty-eight and a half. So I haven't really gotten involved in this series at all, other than the first two games. Will I played them both over the total? Um, and as you kind of alluded when we were talking about Warriors and Kings. Uh, Closing line value in both of them, right? Bet 230, a bet over 230 in the first game, closed 231 and a half. Bet uh, two over 228 and a half in game two, closed 230 and a half. Both games go under the total. So here we are again for this one. Totals 228 and again, the side five and a half. That's the only thing that I've gotten involved with. I've got something a, a little bit on the total again here, but what do you make of this series so far through two games? It was just a horrible matchup for Atlanta. They're so small on the uh, in terms of the guards, and it's just the wrong team to be small against. Boston's just yep. got so much length, so much perimeter defense. You never know with these game threes where a team is up 2-0. Are they going to come out focused and just go for the kill? If the team that's losing is going to win one, it's got to be in, you know in, in game three in front of the home fans. Hey, what's rally? Let's get in front of let, let's uh, let's get back in the series. I mean, they're they're not going to get back in the series. Uh, I could see Atlanta. Winning one of these games, Boston gets a split here, and Boston, it's a toss-up, but Boston's going to win the series probably in four games or five. I'd be shocked if it's got to six. It's not getting to seven, barring some like miraculous injury. So, I don't know. I, I sort of thought Snyder would do a better job than McMillan. It sort of looks like the same team, I guess. There's just some limitations with the size, the lack of size for Atlanta, and I'm sure at some point that the story best be, player. Yeah, exactly. Where is he going to go? What's he going to get you in return? That sort of thing. They did get a bunch of three-point attempts up in the last game. I think they shot 49-3, so they weren't getting enough threes under McMillan. You're going to you got to get the attempts up to have any chance. I'd lean Atlanta here, but uh no, nothing really I'm dying to play. Yeah, so I was, I was thinking about going back to the well with the total even though I've been burned through the first two games. And the thinking is um again, when we're going back to like some of these shooting numbers, so Atlanta, let me pull up my uh, my notes. I can get this exactly right for you. Uh, Atlanta threw, let's see, three or two games in this series so far. They are shooting 26.5% from three. So that's not really going to help you out. 
But how about this? It's the same thing with that Sacramento and Golden State series. So what do you do with this, Will? They are 7 of 40 on uncontested three-point looks. So through two games, two games they've generated 40 un like uncontested three-point shots, and yet they've only hit seven of them. Like I, I feel like coming back home, those shots go down at a little bit of a higher rate, right? Familiar shooting backgrounds, all the you know cliches that we use to describe better shooting performances when you get back home in basketball. And on the other end, I still don't think they're going to have an answer for Boston. Boston, surprisingly, has killed them in the paint. It's not been a, a uh, forte of the Celtics, but how about this? 41 of 58 at the rim, averaging 59 points in the paint per game. I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon. I'm tempted to come back here to the over because, I I mean, if you go back to their last regular season game of consequence, I always say, because the last one, you know, uh, Celtics were resting people. Nobody really cared. I think the Hawks were resting people. Either way, it wasn't a full game. That total was 238, Will, and it went way over in Atlanta. So now we're talking about 228 today from that game to the first two games of this series and some really bad shooting on uncontested three-point looks. I feel like there's a lot of indicators that this thing should go over one of those that I've been right this whole time, even though the results haven't been there, and I'm tempted to go back to it again. Yep, I can see that. And, uh, you know, if you're going to bet boss in this game, again, it comes down to the level of focus. They've yeah. taken their foot off the gas in these these games. They've had huge leads. Boss, that first game uh, was atrocious, that second yeah, half. Yeah, it was, where the, the cover was in doubt. I think Atlanta yeah. had the ball down 10 or 11 with a chance to cover uh, with with a minute or so left. And even last game, I think that 13-point margin, final margin, is a little misleading. So um, not enough for me to lay it. I lean towards taking the points, but I haven't bet it. All right, what about uh, the New York Knickerbockers? I know that I was watching, I think it was a clip with Gil that you were on a numbers game. And uh, tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth. I think you were in on New York for the series. Am I correct? I got them to win the series. I got them to win in six plus 500. So I'm nice. sort of on serve there. I just think the role players are going to play better at home. That's usually how the playoffs go. I think Cleveland's a sort of uh, just, look, they got four guys they can play and not a lot else. They had guys step up in game two. I think the desperation of the situation helped that. Uh, I, I do worry about the Knicks scoring in the half court. I mean, it's been yep. ugly the first couple games, but I think they get enough in terms of getting to the line, offensive rebounds where they can win the math in that way. Uh, you got to get something out of out of these guys, the, the Grimes, quickly, Barrett. I, I do think they'll play better at home. So that's going to be the key to me is can you get something out of these role players? But I just think that Garden is going to be absolutely rocking tonight. Uh, you know, would you play, would you play Brunson and quickly at the same time to get a little more offense? I think you have to figure out a way to score because if I, if you tell me a week from now, Hey, you lost this bet. It's because the Knicks just couldn't score in the half court. And I don't know, maybe the Knicks can, can play good enough defense and win sort of a, an old school rock fight here, a 1990s game where you win the right. game, you know, 95, 89. But, uh, I do like the Knicks. I think, um, I, I think these will, these will be close games. And I just think that, uh, that they'll have enough defense home crowd, and they'll get enough of a bump from their role players at home where they can uh, they can get this one. It should be a fun game. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I, the way I approached the series was the uh, the Knicks plus the one and a half games uh, angle here at a minus price, and I, I think that's the way you're really gonna like you feel comfortable at it, at least this point. But to your overall point, offensive rating in the half court in game two just seventy nine point seven. And when you were watching what Cleveland was doing, Jalen Brunson's really good when he gets ahead of steam and he can either finish or he can hit that step back. He he really loves to do that move. But, I mean, they were blitzing him on every single screen in game two and making him really uncomfortable. Like, the Knicks were, like, running screens. Their pick and rolls were starting at nearly half court. And the Cavs were like, nah, dude, every time you get this ball, if you're going to have a screener, we're just going to blitz both guys at you. We're going to make you just – we're not going to allow you to get to your spots. And that led to Brunson, I think, what, in game two? Uh, 20 points, he had five of 16 shooting from the floor. He got to the free throw line 10 times, but you got to be better than that. And I, 
like overall, and I think this plays out more if they move on, but the one issue with New York has been they just get kind of bricky is the term we've been using, right? Which is their last in assist rate. They're really relying on their two stars and Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle having really hot shooting nights. And if those shots don't fall, then all of a sudden the ball starts to stick a little bit. RJ Barrett's not really the most efficient guy. If you got to lean on him, it's been a disjointed kind of offense when the shots aren't falling for Brunson and Randall. And I think that's kind of the danger for them as they move forward in the series because some pretty good individual defenders on that Cavs team. Yeah, and it's funny. The Knicks' offensive numbers for the season are pretty good, but it's not a good shooting team. Again, a lot of it's yep. the line, second-chance points. They sort of uh, they sort of skew the math here where they can figure out a way to not be a great shooting team but still be pretty good on offense. So in terms of this game, did you play anything Did you play anything for this game at all? Or, or you're just sitting back and sitting on the series bets? I'll probably play the Knicks. Yeah. I'll play the Knicks. Knicks yep. are probably, probably money line. Was it 125, 130? I'll take the Knicks on the money line here. How do you, by the way, how do you handle like game to game stuff? Because I tend to, in the NBA playoffs, kind of just sit on the series bets, right? Because I, I have faith that over the course of the best of the seven, that it'll play out the way that I expect it to. And from game to game, it gets so hard to read. And I actually, we talked to Matt Meiselman on the, on the podcast yesterday about this, where there's so many little factors that go into the changing line from game to game where I like I feel more comfortable just betting whatever before the series begins and letting that thing play out. And if there's a little thing, like I keep trying to hit this Boston total, um, if that's something that I, I feel like I have, I'll try to bet it. But for the most part, game to game, I actually tend to take a little bit of a step back in the postseason. Not a bad approach. Yeah, I still play game to game. I do think, man, some of these trends, uh, once they become public, they are uh, like the zigzag theory. They're just not as profitable. But the one that's still really profitable, team that wins – game one on the road just getting oh. destroyed in game two so uh, obviously those situations are out the window now but i still think you can play the desperation in some of these spots again it used to be where the team that's down 2-0 they're at home you play them in the first half but that's been well built into the line where there's just not enough value in there i think the public's caught up to that but yeah i'm, I'm still playing these guys these uh these game to game yeah warriors got there yesterday but the nets did not so in terms of the team down two nothing going back home angle and uh we have two more that are actually coming up. We have Atlanta and Boston, which again, uh, to your overall point, let's see, first half. These are what I always like to see. Uh, yeah, in the first half, so Atlanta is catching just one and a yeah, half. Yeah, they've gone overboard. <laughs> they've really gone overboard. In the first half, and in some spots, it's essentially a pick for the first yeah. quarter, despite the fact that they're catching five and a half at home. That's uh, <laughs> I'll say it's baked in. I don't know I about think you. it's overbaked no, in. If I, had to do, if I had to do anything with that, I'd, I'd play Boston, and I'd go against it, because I think... Like if you look, I forget the, the cutoff point, but if you look at like the last 10 years, it really favors the zigzag theory and the team that's down 2-0. But if you look at like the last five or six years, it's almost 50-50 where you're losing money betting it because I think yeah. the trend is just sort of caught on. And it, once it catches on, it's just not profitable anymore. You know, I was talking, Mike Samich, who's done some work for us at Vsin in terms of some hits, and I know he's friends with Patrick Maher. I thought he brought up a great point. We were talking about this over the weekend, which was, you know, like in situations where the market has baked in this stuff into the line and especially first half, first quarter, the in-game algorithms will as well have that baked into it. So there's actually some value in-game going with the team that's up. You know what I mean? Because it'll freak out, right? Because you have this program to be weighted more toward the team at home. So if there's any instances of an in-game scenario, especially in those first halves, it's actually beneficial to start looking at those teams that are up to nothing when you talk about in-game scenarios. So it'd be interesting to see. I'm going to track that tonight against uh, Atlanta, but it would make some sense. Uh, given the fact that the market's a little off when it comes to those numbers because they have to wait in all the action they're going to get because of the trend. Yep, that uh, that makes sense. I'll keep an eye on that one too. 
All right, Denver, Minnesota. Let's uh, end it here then. Denver on the road, catch or excuse me, laying two, two and a half totals at 223. We'll call it 222 and a half consensus. It's actually a wide variety of totals if you want. If you want to bet under, there's a 223. If you want to bet over, there's a 221 and a half. So what, what do you make of this series coming into it? Because my whole thing was kind of, look, like I think Denver is a week one seed. I just don't know if Minnesota is the team you really want to go to bat with to try to test that theory. And we kind of saw it. Like Minnesota fought tooth and nail. They got back into it. To fail to cover that game after your third quarter is pretty bad on the Minnesota end. So now you're coming back home. I guess the same game plan, put a bunch of Rudy Gobert on Nikola Jokic and try to bother him because it did for the third quarter, but they were shooting lights out. And when that kind of started to cool off, you saw the, I think the gap between these two in that fourth. Yeah. A little flashback to the bubble, uh, Jokic and Murray against Gobert. And uh, yeah, remind yeah. me of that series a little bit. Um, it, it depends how you look at that, that run the other night. Is that Minnesota discovering something, figuring something out? I mean, Towns was awful. You got to get something out of Towns here. He's been so bad. But I mean, is it did Minnesota figure something out, or is it Denver one game one by thirty? They're up twenty late in the first half of game two, and they just sort of took the foot off the gas. I I kind of lean that way. Um, I didn't bet this game. You could talk me into Minnesota. I don't. Again, this is sort of like Boston Atlanta, where um, I, I think the most likely outcome here is a split. I don't think Minnesota gets both these games. I guess it's possible Denver gets a, gets both of them and they sweep. But to me, most likely outcome, Minnesota wins one of these. Denver closes it in five and would set up what's an interesting series because I think Denver's actually played the played defense on the perimeter pretty well. You still have issues, you know, concerns with their defense, with their bench, uh, with their depth. I think Thomas Bryant's been a healthy scratch these past few games. I thought it was a decent pickup. They gave him like 32 second round picks up for him at the deadline. He doesn't even play anymore. Um, but look, you're going to have Jokic versus Durant. It'll be great for the league. It'll be a lot of fun. Neither team has a lot of depth, so it'll be an interesting chess match. But uh, nothing for me in this game. Denver will probably win this in five. We would lean Minnesota tonight, but nothing I'm like dying to bet here. Yeah, no, this is the most boring series, uh, obviously, out of all of them. Probably the least handled as well, if you were to ask odd makers yeah. in terms of the popularity of these games. Other than if they're in these spots where they're the lone night game and you get some people coming in and get some action because I think that's the NBA thinks smartfully, uh, smartfully, uh, rightfully smartfully, so. I like it. Yeah, that's a good word. Uh, rightfully so has kind of given them the island, yeah. uh, Minnesota and Denver, because I don't think many people are watching if it's going head to head. Like last night where you had Phoenix and L.A. Right. and then you had Golden State. Sacramento. The old NBA TV <laughs> series. Yeah, by the way, that's that was the other thing. Because like, you're out in New York, so you don't have to deal with this. Uh, how do you black oh, out a God, playoff so game? I, I, it was it was, it was ridiculous. I was trying to, you know, I, I watched the game through some means, but still, I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Major League Baseball is so bad with it, too. And it's just so bad. I mean, like, wh- wh- why would you give the middle finger to your fans? You're trying to watch the game. I mean, it just it makes no sense to me. Are you excited that some of these series start to get over? You start to have a little less to focus on? I feel like the first round, if you're trying to, whether you're it's doing shows or doing any sort of content, it's a lot to focus on trying to break down all of these series all at once, all of these games. It's good when you start to pair some of them off. I, I know you love a good back in my day ramp, but back in my day, I don't, I don't know if you're old enough, young enough to remember when these were best of five in the first round. To me, it was so much better. Yeah. Just cut the fat, get rid of these bad series. It, it added drama. If the team that was the favorite lost in game one, there's all the pressure in the world on them game two. So they'll never do it because of uh, revenue. But man, I, I really miss when it was best of five first round. I wish they were. I mean, can you imagine like the up, like the uproar if like LA had won that game in the in game one right. and it was a best of five? Like that's it would have been there would have been a lot more talk about that as opposed to just like all right, Clippers, good job. Um, no, I do remember it, and I will say I would agree. And it is so you know we have good jobs, so I don't want to poo poo anything that we're doing. But I will say 
you know, seven days a week, essentially watching, writing, podcasting. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. (laughs) Now, I don't have a new child like you do. I've got a one year old and a four year old. They still take uh, quite a bit of focus. But uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a it's been a whirlwind. I'll say the last uh, like week and a half. Second round is, I think, is the perfect blend of volume of games and quality of games. Like first round, yeah. it's just as a better, it's fun because you have so many games to bet on. There's always two, three games a night. Sometimes, like you said, two games at once. I think the second round is a nice balance of like, all right, there's a lot of games, but they're all good games. Conference finals can be a little bit lonely, a little bit depressing. Sometimes it's just one game a night. Sometimes you go, you have a weird scheduling quirk where there's no games. I think the second round is that perfect blend of like, all right, we got really good games. We got a perfect amount of games. Second round is always a lot of fun. And just looking ahead, man, it, and again, it depends on some of these matchups, but second round should be a lot of fun. Sixers, Celtics, yes. Bucks versus either the Knicks or the Cavs, uh, Suns, Clip, uh, what was it? No, Suns, Suns Nuggets, Suns and Nuggets. Then, then you could get Lakers and, and LeBron versus oh. Curry, and I guess Memphis. I'm sick of Memphis, so I, I hope it's not them, but uh, some really good second round matchups here. Clippers, Nuggets. Clippers, Speak Nuggets. Speak it seven into one. Let's go. Let's go. Um, uh, all right, Will. Well, I appreciate some time. Like I said, I know you're a busy guy, so uh, we appreciate it as always, and we'll uh, catch up with you again soon. All right, bud? All right, man. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Yep, you got it. Remember, you can always check out Will throughout the uh, different hits on the network up at vcin.com as well. Like, rate, review, subscribe. Check out everything we have up on the website, and we will talk to you on Monday here on Hardwood Handicappers. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.